We're going to be in 1 Timothy uh, tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's one of the places we're going to be. Um, I'm going to be jumping around a lot here in a little bit. Uh, I don't necessarily expect you to go with me everywhere that we go, but we're going to be jumping around uh, a lot quite a bit. Um, as we continue our study and the trustworthy sayings of Paul. Uh, this is the uh, fourth of five nights uh, that we are looking at this topic. Um, and um, uh, I think Pastor David last week kind of made, made this clear. There, and, and Russell also uh, mentioned this. This is not like a canon within a canon. These are not verses that are more important than any other verses. Uh, but they are verses and that where this phrase, um, the saying is trustworthy, is found. And Paul wrote it for some reason. We don't know the exact reason, other than we do know that there are some great truths to be found around uh, this saying and around these verses. And I think that we'll find that uh, tonight. Um, and just a couple verses here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our main verses are going to be verses 7 through 9. Uh, but as I said, we're going to be jumping around quite a bit um, as we go through uh, these verses. So um, to kind of give us a little bit of context of where we are um, and why Paul is writing this letter, we kind of find it in, in verses uh, 1 through 6 here of chapter 4. But Paul has left Timothy... In Ephesus, we find this out in chapter 1. Uh, so he's there at this church in Ephesus. And he's left him there to deal with some situations that the church needs to deal with. Um, specifically, false teachers. Uh, he mentions this in, in chapter 1. He gives, uh, as he's introducing the letter to Timothy, he talks about false teachers here in chapter 4, we're going to look at that again, and then again in chapter 6. This is a common theme that Paul deals with in the letters to uh, the churches that he writes uh, to, and the individual letters, like he is writing here to Timothy, is dealing with false teachers. Um, the church, of course, is at its, you could say, at its infancy stage still, and there's still a lot of, uh, I, I guess you could say, confusion and maybe even some coercion into uh, leading people away from what the real truth is. Establishing the real gospel is very important to Paul. It's very important to those at the church that he was establishing to make sure that the gospel, that is the true gospel, is the one that comes uh, from the church. And, and uh, Timothy, as the leader, needs to be uh, the one leading that charge. Uh, so he writes this letter to Timothy. Again, it's a personalized letter and, and uh, uh, instructing him on what he needs to do with this church. And we see from the first uh, five verses of uh, chapter four, kind of the, the situation that he's dealing with as far as what the false teachers are teaching. Right? Um, if you'll look there with me quickly, um, 
he says, Paul tells Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says that later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So this particular group of false teachers, and, and of course, if you, if you go through all the epistles, um, you can find a lot of different um, ways that, uh, that the teachers were presenting false items to the church. These particular ones were ones that uh, dealt with something that's called ascetics or asceticism. And asceticism uh, is really a denial to oneself of stuff that actually doesn't need to be denied. And to its extreme, it can include things such as self-harm, uh, mutilation, that sort of thing, right? Um, it is essentially a way in which one tries to make themselves appear to be more holy, right? Um, God has, at this point, uh, Jesus has given his life. He has risen from the dead and he has ascended. So the new covenant has taken over. The gospel has now taken over. Faith, uh, salvation through faith and grace has now taken over. This is the new covenant. That is what is in place. That is the gospel. But there were some who still wanted to hold on to some old traditions, that still wanted to hold on to some of the old law, and even wanted to add on to some of the stuff that was presented to them. Right? This was sort of the, the idea that these people had. Right? I'm going to do more. Right? It's almost a holier-than-thou type attitude rather than accepting the free gift that Jesus gave us, rather than accepting the grace and the love and mercy that he uh, provides for us, it's a, well, I'm going to do this, which is kind of to the extreme, and it's going to make me seem to be better. Right? That's really the, the teaching that um, Timothy was kind of going up against, what Paul was kind of warning him of. Certainly, there is nowhere in Scripture where marriage is forbidden, right? Actually, at the very beginning of time, what did God do? He created a man, and he said, man needs help. Man, we all know this is true, right? Right? Anybody that, yeah, I see all of you looking at your wives going, yeah, it's true. I need a lot of help, right? So he created a woman, right? And made them as one, right? It is certainly not something that he ever said, you should not get married, right? It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. There was a time under the law where certain foods were forbidden. But now that was gone. The foods that were uh, at one time forbidden were no longer forbidden. So there was no need for anybody to deny themselves of the food that would be available to them. 
So the, these false teachers had, um, had a real problem. The biggest problem that they had was apparently some of the stuff that they were teaching was working, right? If there was, if Paul had to bring it up, then he had to bring it up because in some way it was infiltrating into the church. In some manner, people were either starting to consider it or had actually turned towards it. You know, uh, if, there, if there's no problem there, then there's no reason to bring it up. But there was a problem. So Timothy, being the, the pastor, being the leader, the overseer, uh, would need to address that. And he needed to be aware of what was going on there. So that's, why, that's the main reason why Paul is, is writing to him here. Again, he talks to him about false teachers in chapter 1, here in chapter 4, and then again in chapter 6. Now, in between all of that, he does do a lot of teaching about other very important things that the church needs to know. And we're going to get to a part here where we're going to um, focus on something that Paul is wanting Timothy to do. And what he wants him to do is train for godliness. All right, so that's kind of the title of what we're looking at tonight is training for godliness. And we're going to get to what that means. We're going to get to how we train for godliness, what it takes to train for godliness. We're going to get to what that does for us, right? Because there is some value in training for godliness. Just like there is some value in physically training our body. And we're going to get to that here in, in just a second. Um, now, I will warn you that... Um, that there is going to be a sports analogy in here. All right, that's part of this. Paul actually used sports at other times to give analogies. So if you're not a sports person, then you're going to become one tonight because it's important in what's, uh, what's going on here as Paul writes to uh, Timothy. So um, I think that there's three, three big things that we, that we can take from these verses um, and then within each one of those, I've got some other little points that I want to make. So, first thing that we want to look at, we'll start with verse 7. All right, very short verse, uh, very simple. Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. All right, so I think the first thing that we see Timothy uh, is getting from Paul and training for godliness. Now that, again, that's our, our big theme, is having the proper perspective. Having the proper perspective. He gives some very clear but very contrasting commands here to Timothy. What is the first one? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Right? So he has described previously what some of those myths are. And of course, there was a lot of stuff that goes, that has gone, uh, um, that was prevalent during that time. Some of your uh, translations may even have old wives' tales or fables, right? And it wasn't just at this church, it was kind of a prevalent thing throughout uh, the area at that time. Um, and Paul is. 
telling Timothy those sorts of things that are irreverent or silly, right, have nothing to do with those, right? Um, this is a, what, what Paul, as, he is, as he's giving him these instructions, he wants him to have a proper perspective, but he also is wanting him to have clear intentions, right? He's giving him something that he should not be doing, right? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, um, I think that we can take two things from that. One, in our own lives, as we are training for godliness, and we'll get to an explanation of that a little bit more, as we're training for godliness, there are things in our life that we need to get rid of, that we need to have nothing to do with. Right? If there are things in our life that do not further our um, development in our relationship with God, if there are things in our life that do not advance us in our discernment, in our discipleship, if there are things that don't uh, bring us closer to God, we should have nothing to do with those things. Right? Those are things that we should be, that we should be getting rid of out of our lives. Um, so he, he gives them this command. Now, I think that there's also something here that's really important as a church when we see something like this. It's very easy. You know, we live in a world where you can find all kinds of religion, right? It's everywhere. And there's all kinds of, of religion that if you listen to it, you're like, what in the world are they talking about? Right? It can be easy for us to turn our focus too much to those sorts of things, too much to um, trying to refute those things, trying to um, uh, discredit those sorts of things. I think it's more important, and I think this may be something that Paul's trying to get across to uh, to Timothy here, to deal with the truth more than dealing with the false stuff. The truth will set you free. The truth will overtake what is out there that is false. Right? God's word is still powerful. The Holy Spirit still convicts. Jesus still saves. So our focus should be on the truth. While we have to understand that there are false teachers out there, Right, And a lot of them are very appealing. One of the reasons why Joel Osteen has an arena that he fills every time he preaches because what he says is kind of nice to the ears. Right? Not everything that we read from the Bible is nice to the ears. It's profitable for us. Right? It instructs us. It rebukes us. It does all the things that we need for it to do. But the if we spend all of our time trying to refute everything that Joel Osteen says and we don't spend enough time telling the truth, then we're putting our focus on the wrong place. Um, I was 
How many of you remember bank tellers? <laughs> right? Are there still bank tellers? I don't know if I've been to a bank in a while. Um, do we know how bank tellers can figure out what a counterfeit bill is? They study the real thing, right? They get to know the real dollar, the real monetary uh, piece that they're using so well that they can recognize the false thing. That's the way that we should be approaching these this sort of false teaching is know the truth enough to recognize the false stuff that's out there. Then you can stay away from it. You can have nothing to do with it. You can't be turned by it. Because if we're not grounded enough in God's word, if we're not grounded enough in the truth, then it's real easy to kind of be led one way or the other. We see it all the time. We probably had friends or family, you know, that, you know, have kind of, oh, this seems kind of interesting, this sort of, you know, it seems like a happy religion or something. I'll check that out. That's what happens when we're not properly grounded in God's Word. So we need to have nothing to do with those things. But it gives us the contrast on what we should be doing, right? At the latter part of verse 7, he says, rather train yourself for godliness. Now, that's our, our main theme, and there's a lot in these few words that we're going to extract from that. First of all, let's talk about the word train, right? Who likes to go to the gym and work out or go, hmm, not a lot of hands here, <laughs> All right, so uh, we don't have a lot of uh, experience with training. But train is an, is an important word here that Paul uses, and I don't want to, I want us to make sure that we catch the importance of it. Um, that ancient uh, Roman Greek in that time and place, athletics was a big thing, all right? Training was a big thing. And the word train here in Greek, and I'm probably going to destroy it, so forgive me, but it's something like gymnawa. All right? What does that sound like? Gymnasium. Exactly. That's where we get our word gymnasium. That's the word train. What goes on in a gymnasium? Sweat. <laughs> Sweat. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Sweat. But... Training, right? Um, at this particular time in ancient Greece, athletics was a big deal, right? Athletes were, were looked at as um, kind of uh, the superstars, the celebrities of that day to a certain degree. Um, they were seen as people that had great moral strength for whatever reason they were, uh, that they had self-discipline, Right? That's important. Keep that in mind. Hard work. They're dedicated. Um, they were in the minds of the people there. The, one of the words that they used to describe them was arate, which it means that they were the epitome of virtue and excellence. Um, and they had, and I was actually surprised as I looked at some of the um, athletics that they were involved with during that time period. 
um, racing, which of course we would kind of expect that. And Paul mentions racing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24. Boxing. Paul also mentions boxing in, in that same uh, frame um, where in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The long jump, discus, javelin throwing, wrestling, the pentathlon, which was all of those events in one event, um, horse racing, chariot races. They did a lot of athletics, which required a lot of training. Right? If you were going to be a boxer, you go into a gym, and you put on some boxing gloves, and you have never trained, and you go into a ring with someone that has trained as a boxer, you're going to get boxed, <laughs> right? And your face is probably going to hurt for a long time if you don't have the proper training, and they do, right? Even some of these other events, and a lot of these are even events that we still see today in our Olympics, right? Um, Wrestling, javelin throwing. You might think, oh yeah, it's easy to pick that. But to get the proper uh, angles that you need to hit, develop the speed to be able to throw that javelin, right? All that requires training. Um, my uh, profession is I am a golf professional. And um, part of my duties is I teach golf lessons to a lot of people. And one of the difficulties in teaching uh, people is they'll come to me and they'll want my knowledge and I'll feel free to share it with them and kind of give them some guidelines and, and some stuff on what they need to do, right? But what do they have to do in order for it to work? They have to practice, right? They come to me and I tell them, all right, well, we're going to change this little thing, we're going to do this, and we're going to... All right, now I want you to go practice it, but they never do. Then the next time they go out to play, what are they going to get compared to the last time they went out to play? Same, Same thing. They're not going to get any better. They're not going to have it, right? And maybe they'll even get worse because they probably have watched a YouTube video and read a magazine somewhere, you know. But the training is what allows us to get better and allows us to develop. So this, this idea that Paul presents to us of training is an important one to consider, especially in the context of athletics and how important it was um, at that time. So the, Timothy would have understood that. The people would have understood that word and what it meant and the, the connotation that went along with it. So... With that said, what is training yourself to godliness? Right? I think there's four things we can look at, and it's not overly complicated. First thing is study God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Right? Kind of a, talking about the same thing that, uh, that uh, Paul's writing here to Timothy, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor, seats, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in God's word. 
and on his law he meditates day and night. And then it gives a description of what that person that studies God's word, that is in God's word, because that's what meditating day and night is, right? It's not just a simple, okay, I'm going to wake up, it's 6.45, let's see, I'm going to go here. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Okay, I've done my Bible study. I've done my reading. No. Bible study is the meditating on it. What is God trying to tell me? Spending some time in it. And we see what happens when, when we do that in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Right? He's rooted. He's grounded in God's Word. It's what we want to be in. Our, our life needs to be rooted and grounded in God's Word. God talks to us through His Word. Right? We see that He's also fruitful, that yields its fruit in its season. So for training for godliness, right, one of the things that should be happening in our life is that there should be fruit. Right? That's what we're told. There should be fruit. We should be bearing fruit. People should be coming to know uh, who we are and who God is because we're bearing fruit. There's also the fruits of the Spirit that we should be taking on as uh, believers. We see that its leaf does not wither. We're consistent. Right? When the leaf does not wither, we're consistent. When we're studying God's Word, it's a lot easier to kind of stay where we need to be when we're grounded in God's Word. And then, in all that He does, He prospers. He's blessed. He's blessed. That's something we're going to see here just uh, that Timothy tells Paul as well. So as we're looking at um, training and godliness, the first thing that we want to do is we want to be studying God's Word. God talks to us through His Word. Right? We can't become more godly if we're not talking to, if we're not listening to Him. Same time, we need to be talking to God. So number two is prayer. That's the second way that we can train for godliness. Second shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody know it? 2 Thessalonians 5.17. What does it say? Pray without ceasing. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. Now, that's not a 24-7, right? We're constantly head bowed, eyes closed, praying. You know, I don't want you to go out tonight and get in your car, right, and close your eyes and start praying. That's not a good thing for you to do. Now, it probably is a good idea to pray while you're in your car. At least it is for me. Because, you know, I want to pray that don't get in an accident or killed. But also, I want to pray that I don't want to kill someone else because of the traffic. Right? So, I've got to be careful when I get in the car. Uh, so, uh, but the, the, the attitude behind pray without ceasing is a recognition that I need to persist in my relationship with God, I need to be aware of His presence at all times. I need to be in conversation and communication with Him about 
all the things that are going on in my life, good or bad, right? That's how I'm going to train myself for godliness, is that having communication with him. He wants that from us, expects that from us. That uh, verse that Paul writes there in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians does not say, you should consider praying without ceasing. No, it's very simple. It says pray without ceasing. It's a command that he gives to the church there at Thessalonica. We should be doing the same thing if we're going to be training in godliness. Next thing, training in godliness. So we study God's word, we pray, and then we meet together with our brothers and sisters. Right? Hebrews chapter 10 Verse um, 25, or, yeah, starting with 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we're training for godliness... We need to be around other people who are training for godliness. We need to be around people that are understanding of uh, what the follower of Christ is trying to be and it's supposed to be. So we can, what does it say? Encourage each other. Right? The reason that we get together like this and we have the fun conversations and we talk before and after these sorts of meetings or at our life group or in the, the, uh, the main services is so that we're with like-minded people and we are growing together. We can hold each other responsible and accountable. Right? We know that that's part of what the church does. Uh, Matthew 18 makes that clear. So if we're training in godliness, then we need to be meeting together. That's an important thing. Um, you know, we've got to be careful about uh, what technology provides for us. Now, you know, during the COVID days, we kind of got used to meeting online. Right? And that's great. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic tool, and I, I don't want to denigrate that. But we don't want to get to a point where that becomes our go-to, right? Our go-to should be to come together, to be here with each other, right? That's where we really develop those relationships with each other, where we learn to love each other, Right? That's training for godliness, love, learning to love. That's, a, I, that's as godly, I guess, as you can get, you know, is uh, learning to love one another. So we need to meet together. And then the last thing that we need to do for training for godliness is we need to share the gospel. Right? We need to share the gospel. At the end of it all, as once we become saved, right, and as we are growing and as we are developing as believers, we should be at a point where we can share the gospel. 
right? Acts chapter 1, verses 8. What does Jesus tell his disciples to do? What is going to be their, their main calling? Tells them to go to where? Jerusalem first, which was home, right? Judea, Samaria, and then everywhere, right? So if we are training for godliness, then we need to be sharing the gospel. So we look at the, the proper perspective here um, that we must have. Have nothing to do with those things that we don't need, right? Have everything to do with what we do need, right? The nothing versus the something. And the something is the big something. Study God's word. Pray. Come together. Share the gospel. That's training in godliness. Then in verse 8, we go to the, the next part where we see the training in godliness provides us the proper values. Let's read uh, verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Talking earlier again about, you know, the physical training. I, I do like to work out a little bit. I'm getting older. I can't do some of the things that I used to do. I can't run like I used to run. The joints have just had enough of that. So I like to go for walks. And I like to go to the gym and do a little exercise. Um, I, I've always kind of been an athlete. It's just something that's in me that I really, really enjoy. All right? Some of you have done sports or have done exercise, done training throughout your life. Mostly you probably enjoyed it. Sometimes we don't necessarily enjoy it. Uh, but there is some value to that. Right? There's some value in that it helps us develop physically. Right? You know, you may get a little bit more muscle. Right? Your cardiovascular system may get a little bit better. It can even help you to relieve stress. Right? Um, there are some benefits in the physical training. But it's different than the spiritual training in a couple ways. One is the physical training is temporary. Right? This body, as much as I try to be healthy and as much as I may try to put in the right foods, I don't always put in the right foods. Burger King can attest to that. Right? There's some other ice cream places that I really like and I'll always do it the right way, but we try to take care of our body. Something's still going to get us if God doesn't return while we're still alive. Right? We're going to die. So all of that exertion that we put forth through our physical body, there's some value in it, but it's not eternal value, right? Which is what um, we get from godliness. Godliness has eternal value. It says godliness is of value in every way. And I want to talk to you, go briefly through um, the value that training for godliness brings us. I'll try to, hopefully you kind of understand what I'm trying to get through, get to here. Um, but the, the 
Training towards godliness provides us a few things. One, it provides us with development, right? Physical training, as I just said, gives us some uh, development, right? It changes our body in some way, makes us stronger, right? Can make us grow, can do a lot of things for us. Um, I'll go to a few places here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, Paul writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Right? So when we are um, training for godliness... We see that we, our faith starts to grow. Our love can start to grow. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, from the day we heard, Paul has heard that the church at Colossae um, has you know, been doing pretty good. Um, they're, they, he's heard that they are showing love towards each other. Um, so they're doing some things that are good. And so he says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All right. So as we're training to godliness, we start to develop. What are we developing? We're developing our relationship with God. We're developing our relationship with each other. We're developing our... Um, we're, we're getting ourselves sanctified closer and closer to what we're supposed to be with God. You know... Um, one of the things I think that we've, we've got to be a little bit careful of, um, and I kind of want this in in terms of development, is I, don't, I want to be careful about how I say this. We kind of sometimes almost give ourselves a way out when we kind of say, oh, I'm just an old sinner. Right? I'm just a sinner and I mess up. Yes, you are. Yes, you will. Yes, you do. Right? Paul even said, I am the chief of sinners. There is absolutely nothing wrong with recognizing the sin state that I am in. Even after my salvation, I still have that sin nature within me. But once I have that salvation, what should be happening in my life? Should I be changing Absolutely. There should be transformation in my life. There should be developing. I should be looking different. My, my spiritual being should be looking different than what it has. First uh, John. John is writing and he writes, I write to you so that you may not sin. Right? He then recognizes you are. And he recognizes that there's an intercessor for our sin. But he's right. We don't want to sin. Right? Um, he goes on to say um, in, I believe it's chapter, hold on, I'll get there. I got a lot of little stickies here. 
to go through. He goes on to say in chapter 3, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, for training for godliness, then there's going to be development. We're going to be different than what we were. Right? The sins, if I'm, if I'm someone that was, before I got saved, cursed a lot, then after I got saved, should I still be cursing a lot? If I was a liar, should I be lying all the time? If I was a thief, should I be stealing? No. Right? If I had hate in my heart and anger towards people, should that still be there? There's probably still going to be some remnants of it. We're still going to have to deal with it, but we should be developing if we're training for godliness. The second thing that I think that we can get uh, when the value of training for godliness is discernment. Right? Discernment, very simply, is kind of knowing right from wrong. Um, it's kind of a, a simple way to put it. Um, it's kind of understanding God's um, view of things versus our view of things, right? Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses uh, 9 and 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Um, Romans chapter 12, verses 2. This is probably a verse that, uh, that a lot of us are familiar with. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect for training and godliness then we come to know uh, discernment. Um, one other one that I want to look at, because I think it's an important one, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Right? So what did we say was one of the things that we do when we train for godliness? We pray. So if we want wisdom, we want discernment, what does James tell us? Ask God. Say, God, I need your help. I need your discernment. I need your wisdom. If we rely on our own wisdom, if we rely on our own uh, discernment, then we will be, to put it lightly, we'll be fools. Right? That's what... Basically, what we are, we will do silly, stupid, dumb things if we rely totally on ourselves. But if we are training for godliness, then we can have discernment. We can know right from wrong. Right? We can understand what we need to do. And then the last thing that I think that we see um, 
if we're training for righteousness, the value that we get is discipleship. Not just our own. Yes, we, as we are, develop, as we, uh, are training in godliness, we become better followers of God. We begin to know, understand what it is and what it means to follow God. But what is the Great Commission tells us that there's something that we are supposed to do. There's several things in there, but what is one of the things that we are supposed to do when Jesus tells his disciples to go? What does he tell them to do? Make disciples. Make disciples. All right? Doesn't say get them saved. God does that, right? But make disciples. And I thank God for this church because I think that this church is a good one that makes disciples, right? The church's number one goal, number one duty, number one responsibility is to bring the lost to Christ. That's why we're here. We want to see people come to know Jesus. Once they come to know Jesus, what's the plan? We need to be discipling those people. As a lot of people now, I grew up from uh, the first time that I went to church, I was two weeks old. From the time that I was two until I was about 20, I don't think I missed a handful of services. And the church I grew up in went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. My parents had me in church, right? So I had a lot of biblical knowledge before I ever got saved. There's a lot of people that don't have that, that weren't raised that way. And they come to know Jesus, they're babes in Christ. They need someone, they need a church body to help guide them, right? Um, go to the book of uh, Acts, if you, if you can. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. just want to give you a couple examples here. Um, and we'll just read this as we're running out of time a little bit. Um, the, uh, they're coming together, and look at verse 42. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Then we'll look at uh, chapter 11 in Acts. Verse 26. Uh, so Barnabas, well, starting in verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. So what's the, what is the, the thing, the commonality that we see here in these two verses? They spent time teaching these people, teaching the, what, uh, what God's word had said, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. How can we do that, though, if we don't know what God's word says, right? So that's where the training for godliness comes in. If we know what God's word said, then we can, and, and by teaching, that does not necessarily mean getting up here or being in front of a life group or but, you know, you can have little Bible study groups amongst yourselves. You know, people meet for lunch or for breakfast. And, um, 
with your brothers and sisters, you can kind of help each other understand what God's Word said. Again, we hold each other responsible and accountable. So we all can and have the capacity to in some manner, whether it be a, just a little bitty small group, maybe you and your spouse together, looking at God's Word together and trying to uh, discern and what His Word has to say, or a bigger group. We all can kind of teach if we understand what God's Word is telling us. And if we are meeting together, right? And if we are sharing the gospel. So the value in, um, in training for godliness is that it gives us the ability to not only be disciples, but to help make disciples, which is something that we are supposed to be doing. And then the last thing, we'll wrap this up here. Um, training for godliness prioritizes the uh, promises of God. Look in, in uh, the latter part of verse 8. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Right? And we talked earlier we saw in Psalm, uh, you know, in studying God's word that there that person will prosper. There are blessings in this life. Now, that is not to say that uh, if we're training for godliness, if we're, we're trying to be more Christ-like, if we're working on our relationship with God, that things are going to be easy. It's not to say that, you know, that we're going to be blessed with great wealth or, or riches or that we're going to um, find some great comfort in life because of that, Right? But there is the blessing of having God with you all the time. There is the contentment and the joy in knowing that you are saved and what it needs to be, as Pastor Howard has said on numerous occasions, what needs to be settled eternally has been settled eternally, right? We can find great contentment and joy just in that knowing that that is true, right? So there's value in our present life when we follow God. Uh, my mom um, used to say to me all the time, and my mom is one of the most faithful uh, people I know. She loves God as much as anybody that I've ever met um, and has been through some rough times with with my grandmother going through Alzheimer's for six years and taking care of her, my father uh, doing, dealing with the same thing for right after my grandmother, six years before he passed away from that. Um, now, one time during that period, and she dealt some other things with brothers and, and a bunch of things going on in her life. Not one time did I ever see her faith waver. Not one time did I ever see her question God or stop loving God just as much. If, if anything, I saw her grow more in her love for God. It's an amazing thing. Such a great uh, example um, for her uh, to give me. And the only way that that can happen Right, is understanding the blessings of God in this life. And she would say to me, even if all this turns out not to be true, 
I would much rather have lived this life believing what I believed and trusting in God the way I have than to live a sinful life, to deal with all the stuff. You know, people that live in sin, they have fun for a season, right? But you find most of the time, if you really were able to, to get some truth serum in them, they're really not enjoying life that much. Right? I can't imagine it's a great thing to wake up um, several days and be hungover, you know, and, and having to deal with all that. I can't imagine having no hope, right? The hope that Jesus provides for us. Um, so she used to say that to us, to us all the time. The good news is, is that God's promises will come true. This Bible is true. We do have the hope that is to come uh, for the, uh, and that's why this training in godliness is so important because the life to come, there's hope for us in eternity. Now, salvation gets you in regardless, right? Once saved, always saved. That's something we believe, correct? No doubt about that. But there are rewards in heaven Right? We're told that there will be rewards in heaven. So if we want to have those rewards, it's a good thing to train ourselves in godliness and do the things that, that get us there so that we can have those rewards in heaven. I think it would be pretty cool to have some rewards in heaven. Um, so when we train for godliness, we get the proper perspective. Right? Those things that we want to have nothing to do with, we have nothing to do with. Rather, we train for godliness. We understand the proper values, those things that really mean something, right? What it does for us as believers and how we grow and how we uh, develop and how we gain discernment and how we are able to be better disciples and be better disciple makers. And then training for godliness, we can rely and prioritize the promises of God. That gets us to this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You can 100% believe this. All of it is true. Every single word. It's trustworthy. Believe it completely. That's what it means there with full acceptance. 100%. I believe that this is what God's Word says, and I believe it's true and it's trustworthy.